Hello and welcome. This is a podcast explaining Ukraine by ukraineworld.org. We continue our podcast about about the war which Russia started against Ukraine. This series is brought to you by Internews Ukraine and Ukraine Crisis Media Center, two reputable Ukrainian media NGOs. My name is Volodymyr Yermolenko. I'm the editor-in-chief of ukraineworld.org and analytics director at Internews Ukraine. We're making this podcast with Tatyana Harkova in charge of international outreach at Ukraine Crisis Media Center. Hello, Tanya. Hello. Before we start, let me remind you that you can support us on Patreon, patreon.com slash ukraineworld. So we are in the ninth day of Russians, Russian war against Ukraine, Russian invasion of Ukraine. Where are we now? Well, um, we all see that the situation is uh, getting worse. And this night there was important change in the situation because Russian army seized a nuclear station at Zaporizhia. And this is a kind of escalation we were expecting, surely. But it is, uh, um, I, I would say that the war is on the uh, highest level today because the threat of nu- nuclear explosion or whatever can happen at the station, we don't know exactly what could happen, but it, the impact will be not only for Ukrainian territory. And experts say that if there is something that happens, it will be six times worse than Chernobyl explosion back in 1986. So we do remember Chernobyl uh, consequences uh, from which we suffered until now. Some people, they have important diseases after that. So six times more Uh, important than Chernobyl. So, and this object, uh, the British nuclear station, in now, is now controlled by Ukra- by Russian army, and they are uh, um, uh, they they will they can do uh, anything they like with this station. So, this is a European. At least, it is a threat for the whole continent. This is not the, not only a threat for Ukrainian territory. And if something happens. All Europe will suffer, unfortunately. That's here we are, where we are now. I Let's think. remind to uh, our listeners that Zaporizhka nuclear power, power plant in uh, Enerhodar is uh, the biggest nuclear power plant in Europe. And, uh, and, and Russians not only seized the Zaporizhka NPP, but they're also controlling, as you know, uh, basically the NPP site, nuclear power plant site in Chernobyl. Chernobyl nuclear power plant is not operational, but they're controlling the, the territory, including the, uh, you know, the, the buildings, the constructions, this, uh, the shelter which covers the uh, the remains of that uh, nuclear power plant that exploded in 1986 but also the uh, the place where this nuclear waste is buried so mm-hmm. it's it's important that this is actually nuclear terrorism what what we are happening now what we are witnessing now it's a form of nuclear terrorism when russians are taking nuclear power plants as ho- hostages hostages and uh, you know warning they will explode um, anything everything and this this will make a, a drastic uh, and and horrible disaster for the whole world the, prob- the problem is that they will also suffer from that explosion let's don't don't forget that this is quite close to russia and everything depends on the wind so if the wind is towards russia so they will suffer i don't know if i, I think they know that but let us fix one moment that starting from several days ago they changed their tactics what we see that they Uh, the Russian army understood that they cannot seize easily Ukraine, at least they cannot attack 
easily Kiev and President Zelensky, I don't know, government, they cannot control the center huh, the, of, the, of Ukraine. But that's why they're changing their strategy to a kind of terroristic. I do, I do, uh, I'm convinced this about terroristic logic. So when they bombard civil, civilians, for example, this morning we received news about a school bombarded in Zhitomir. So this is, what, what, what was the aim? It's not a military object. This is not, no links with the Ukrainian army. It's just to, to create this terroristic effect, you know, that we can do anything against you. And surely enough, the population is in despair. We do see that a lot of people flee uh, to western parts of the country because they, f they don't feel in, uh, secure, any security in Kyiv region and in, in central Ukraine. And what they do with nuclear plants, nuclear stations, this is the same logic. This is all about hostages. They are taking all Ukraine... They are trying, to, at least they are trying to take Ukraine like a hostage just to negotiate, I don't know, with whom, with NATO maybe, with, with United, with the United States. Just to say, look, if you don't do what, what we want, we can explode everything. I But frankly, you were right that Russian tactics is failing. So they, they, were, uh, they were hoping for a blitzkrieg. It's not happening. And the big convoy of vehicles, uh, and there was information that this is a convoy 64 kilometer long convoy of vehicles north to Kiev. So the, with the idea of encircle Kiev, it's not moving too fast. It's not moving, really. It's not moving at all. It's blocked. It's not moving at all. So probably Russians are feeling that they have problems with logistics. And Kiev is really, right now, you know, accumulating resources to defend itself. But at, this, at the same time, they're really shelling the civilian objects. And not only the civilian objects, the residential houses, the, uh, the hospitals, maternity hospitals, schools, kindergartens. And this is not just metaphors. This is what they are doing. You, you can really go, for example, to our Twitter, Ukraine World, and see we post lots of videos. For example, yesterday we posted a video of an attack, missiles attack. It's a missiles attack, right? The, the ballistic missiles or um, missiles attack against uh, uh, residential houses in Chernihiv. Mm -hmm. This video was verified by the New York Times, which just zoomed at certain elements and showed the missiles, you know, hitting the residential buildings. We, we see huge of destructions, lots of destructions in Kiev suburbs like Irpin, like Rostom, and just, you know... Dozens and dozens of residential houses see, uh, hit by, by Russian shelling. Huge destruction in Kharkiv. Kharkiv is a Russian-speaking city, the biggest, largest Ukrainian city, uh, mostly Russian-speaking city in eastern Ukraine, and it's just a disaster in the city because of the uh, indefinite you know, shelling, in, indiscriminate shelling against residential houses and this is this is horrible and you're absolutely right because we were telling the world since 2014 that Russia supports terrorism that Russia as a state supports terrorism everywhere uh, it supports paramilitary groups like Wagner like a so-called DNR LNR but now it acts as a terrorist you know sibling targeting the mm -hmm. the civilian so the question is I would absolutely agree with you about this terroristic uh, hypothesis about how they are conducting but the, the, the question the very question is how how 
should we respond to that? This is not a classical war, you know. Uh, when you are talking, when we are talking about terrorism, it's not about a battlefield, you know. It's not about two armies, you know, uh, battling each other and about civilians are somewhere uh, long away from that. This is a kind of a new kind of war. So, and it's a, it's, it's it's very close to terrorism. And the question is, how could we respond? How could can you? So. And this is a whole state which is uh, using these terroristic methods. And I guess that the answer could not be simple in a way. You cannot just... Uh, we, we understand that Putin doesn't respond to, to, to threats. But at the same time, we cannot, uh, we cannot just... Um, to stop him, we just have to... To, to provide a very strong response. But what kind of strong response for him not to escalate? How could we stop this disaster? I don't have a clear answer. But there were calls by Ukrainian society, by other you know, uh, NGOs all around the world to close the sky or to introduce a no-fly zone. Another uh, concept is a safe zone. This is the first de demand of the Kiev Declaration. You can refer to it. You can find it at kievdeclaration.org. There are six demands and uh, and many of them are being implemented because there are harsh sanctions against Russian Putinist regime, against Russian oligarchs, supplies of weapons to Ukraine, it's very good. But the, the ensuring of the, um, you know, downgrading the prevalence of Russians in the sky mm -hmm. with, with jets, with airplanes and with missiles. And to, to tell you the truth, I'm looking at different military experts right now around the world, not, not only Ukrainian experts, they are saying that Russians are changing tactics and will introduce more jets, more airstrikes. Uh, because but how? They don't have their exhausting their resources as well. Yeah, but, uh, but we see uh, much more you know, engagement of, of jets, military jets. So we can actually expect even bigger bombing of Ukrainian cities, unfortunately. Yeah, uh, let's talk about this uh, sky sky problem because uh, this is uh, highly discussed everywhere, and Ukrainian society, Ukrainian experts, and we are also always demanding that. But at the same time, we receive as an argument from NATO countries, and specifically from the United States, that they will never close the sky. Literally, I mean, in the sense that they will not shoot. Uh, Russian uh, planes and Russian missiles in Ukrainian sky. Why? Because it would mean for them automatically that they will become a kind of a, they, they will make officially war against Russia. And the war between two nuclear states like United States and Russia would be a real disaster. And the, the whole problem is, which we discuss in our network, is how could we close the sky over Ukraine, but at the same time avoid this official, I don't know how to say, official declaration of war between two nuclear states. There is one only option to supply more equipment to Ukraine, more instructors who will help Ukrainians, you know, to launch these air defense systems, more airplanes, more jets, mm -hmm. everything that Ukrainians can use 
very quickly, you know, to uh, to counteract this aggression. From there were the also suggestions to to place all these uh, anti-missile, anti-air um, defense equipment somewhere in the west of the country, for example, and and invite there some foreign instructors or maybe even veterans who would not officially represent their NATO countries, but they could be kind of, you know, like uh, like uh, international uh, volunteer or something like that, and th- they will help Ukraine to operate this system from inside Ukraine. Ex- so exactly, because Ru- Russians are using these are using this proxy tactics. So why can't we use this proxy yeah. tactics? Because uh, <clears throat> the, there is already Ukraine announced the formation of the international battalions, and there are really mm-hmm. volunteers from different countries, Israel, France, uh, some other countries, <clears throat> which are joining this. International battle. Yeah, and, and it doesn't mean uh, literally that, for example, Israel or France is in war with Russia. It doesn't mean that, but we do accept, yeah, this is public information, we do accept and we are very glad to have uh, foreigners in this uh, international battalion because this it is, it is personal, uh, personal choice of veterans, of military professionals just to come here and to battle together with Ukrainians. Look, yesterday Putin addressed uh, Russian society, and I was surprised. I have never, I have never seen him in this shape of mind before, actually, because he's always playing, you know, the game of a very calm dictator. And yesterday he was really, really very nervous, mm-hmm. and you could judge from his face, which I mean, we know that Putin never gives his speeches without a, a very big makeup. It's so visible because he's a 70-year-old, uh, old, uh, old guy, you know. But and it's visible that he is, he's using very, uh, very important makeup. But even this makeup didn't close the red, the red, uh, how to say spots, it? spots. Not even spots, but the red color of his face. So it's it was clearly that he, I would describe it as as a sentiment of the helpless anger. So he's he was very angry, but also helpless in a way and uh but also i mean it doesn't mean that um, of course he he's feeling that he's losing the war because he will engage even more we we he will escalate we, there's a problem that with uh, with putin you he, in every moment where he f- he fails he escalates and that so it's good news for us that he's losing something but it's bad news for us at the same time that he will escalate and you and we know about his nuclear threats already to western countries uh, and we see what they do with nuclear plants in Ukraine so it could be extremely extremely dangerous not only uh, let us repeat not only for Ukraine and unfortunately and so this is the right moment to say um, Putin um, I would not say that I also watched this video I would not say uh, that he was a kind of afraid or something like that but uh, I would agree that he looks like a uh, um yeah like nervous he's feeling that the situation is out of his control it's getting out of his control he tries to show a a very firm and by the way it was it was cut there were cl- they were clearly cutting so mm-hmm. it was it was made in several you know attempts so and his mimics, I think, showed this kind of well. You can you can compare it with the mimics of uh, President Zelensky of Ukraine, which is mm-hmm. who is very tired, obviously, 
but uh, but look at any official uh, now on TV uh, we discover new faces by the way of our officials of our ministers and all like all kind of official people because what we see on our TV screens they are people without makeup women as well and people who haven't slept for many nights already and this is kind of different picture you know Uh, if you compare to a normal TV show just I don't know two weeks ago we were watching the same people participating in political debates but now this is a new reality and even TV anchors they have kind of different look today because they spend normally their days their nights in the underground in the in the studio and then during the day they are they are animating all kind of news uh, debates etc etc but they don't look like they looked two weeks ago no makeup you know they are tired this is quite clear everybody is on the edge i don't know of the of the possible human effort in fact but uh, so this is normal for a country being under attack and being in war and this is a common situation with the whole population because we do all live the same story of being attacked in this aggressive war and you don't have your normal life you don't have your you just lost you lost your normal life there's no no more normality normality of course, in because this ma- many people have left their apartments so we have lots of refugees displaced persons there is information that 1 million of ukrainians have left the country of course uh, under these uh, circumstances when they're just shelling the residential quarters so they they're not really targeting the army they're targeting the civilians this is this is what's happening but ukrainian army is resisting and it's very strong and each day we publish the figures uh, announced by the by the ukrainians by Ukraine's defense ministry so the latest figure as of uh, 4th of march that over 9000 of troops russian troops have been killed during the 9000 aircraft uh, were downed 37 helicopters 251 tanks well 251 tanks is the whole number of tanks owned by france if i'm not mistaken mm-hmm. um Uh, 939 uh, armored vehicles um 105 artillery systems 18 um, anti-aircraft warfare uh, 60 fuel tanks uh, one light speedboats and 404 vehicles uh, and uh, 50 systems of um, of uh, rocket fire missiles fire so You, you can see that losses are quite big and even Putin uh, admitted that there are losses of, of Russian army. Mm. Russian positions is of course t- 10 times less than what Ukrainians are saying. But mm. we see also the, the problems of, of, of morale of Russian soldiers, of many young people uh, who are just brought here uh, without understanding what they're doing. And many people, we see lots of videos, they're filming themselves, these videos posted to the social networks, and then it's just spread massively. We see how low morale they have, at least some of the, some of the battalions. 
Another another story, another trend is the very difficult situation in several Ukrainian cities. We may mention Kharkiv, but we also should mention Kherson, in which apparently the Russian troops are are in the city, controlling the city and mining it. So we have mm-hmm. lo- uh, several already testimonies where yeah. we have mining of the cities. But let's discuss this very point because I think this is important. They uh, We do have evidence that they are mining uh, Kherson. And from the military point of view, and we consulted experts, professionals at least, professionals in this field, they say that you never mine a city if you're going to stay in it. So if you're going to still occupy it and control it. So maybe they are doing, it's much more probable that they are mining Kherson just in view of possible defeat and possible possible the possibility they will go away is that the the scenario maybe because you never mine a city if you're gonna stay inside it it, it makes no sense so you're mining territories when you're go, going to step back and just to to make the 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 progress of the opposite army more slow slower in fact and just in in this is um, maybe uh, Good news, but it's also linked to bad news because to live in a mine city is extremely dangerous, you know. So maybe they are not planning to keep Kherson. Yes, but they are <coughs> approaching in the south, unfortunately, and approaching also Mykolaiv, uh, seized Melitopol, and uh, in Melitopol and Kherson they are changing the information. Uh, information environment, they're putting their own Russian propagandist channels instead of Ukrainian ones, and of course this is also part of the part of the game, part of this war. This war leads to children death. Uh, in eight days of the war, 28 children were killed by Russian uh, occupiers' weapons, and 64 were wounded. This is the tragic story about this war, unfortunately. And um, let's talk about peacekeepers. There's a start of the talk about possible peacekeepers uh, coming into Ukraine. This is not quite clear now under which mandate they would come here and how would they proceed. Yesterday we know that there were negotiations between Russian and the Ukrainian um, Ukrainian party about the second one already. And that we're discussing humanitarian Corridors, something like that. What does it mean? It means a corridors for, uh, if I'm not mistaken, for food supply, for medicine supply, but also for civilians to flee. Um, we are always asked if this is a good or bad thing, these humanitarian corridors. I think this is really good thing, but this is not the core of the problem, because the core of the problem is um, how to stop this aggression, but now how to remit, how to to cure the consequences. So uh, talking about humanitarian corridors or talking about how we treat refugees abroad, this is extremely important and necessary thing, but this is not about the real, about uh, how to stop the war, but how to help people survive in this story. Um, what do you think about peacekeepers? How, in which form, and in which number, and how, under which mandate could they be present on the ter- Ukrainian territory? Well, peacekeepers enter the, the the territory when there is no war, when there is a cessation of of uh, hostilities, of course. So may the they car- enter? May they enter? For example, I don't know western parts of Ukraine like this to protect it from the war, uh, not may, to start. May, maybe you know to but but again, the, normally the peacekeepers are uh, sanctioned, have a mandate from. Uh, 
uh, United Nations uh, General uh, uh, Security, Security Council, Council. and, and Russia, uh, has Russia, a... Russia has a veto uh, there, as we know. But uh, there were precedents of also of uh, introducing peacekeepers under the mandate of UN General Assembly. So uh, we'll see. We uh, we have a statement by uh, World Nuclear Association uh, saying that it supports. Um, the creation of safe zones around nuclear power plants in Ukraine. So what is the safe zones, for example? And yeah. how, uh, how, how, for example, you, the yeah. world can implement this if, if there is a decision about that? Imagine, Russia, for example, uh, I don't know, any kind of foreign uh, anti-air system protecting Ukrainian zone uh, over nuclear plant, and if uh, a part only of this missile fell on the plants, so it could be still could be an explosion. So um, technically, I don't know how to could you introduce that. Yeah, but we 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 we, we should hope that the, the solution can be found. So <clears throat> Russian economic uh, economy is very suffering, right? Uh, the the ruble is 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 falling down and. What is more important, even not um, not attack on uh, not a banning from SWIFT, uh, at least uh, several Russian banks are already banned from SWIFT. But as far as I see, what is even more important is uh, the sanctions against the central bank, the Russian central bank, which means that it cannot really fully operate with its national reserves. And that can be a, a, a big hit to Russian economy. The forecasts are now saying that the scenario is the repeat of 1998, and we remember, I actually remember very well 1998, when uh, there was a major crisis um, in Russia, and basically it was, uh, I think Russia announced even the bankruptcy, sovereign bankruptcy at that mm -hmm. time. So... Um, the, the the hitting economy is a very very good idea. People experts in this stock market are saying that there is no more stock stock market in Ukraine uh, in, in Russia, Russia in Russia mm -hmm. in Russia and um, this can be one of the of course one of the tools but uh, not not sure that there will be primary tools. Russia will most probably also uh, announce a martial law. Uh, general mobilization, mm -hmm. and that move will mean that basically total censorship, no no possible protests. So we mm -hmm. see some of the tiny protests in St. Petersburg or in Moscow. But it will also no mean more, more soldiers on Ukrainian territory because they will definitely mobilize no, new army. In fact, they are able to do that. But uh, the, our hope is that even if they send more soldiers here, they still don't, more troops here, it doesn't mean that they have uh, arms for them. I mean, all these vehicles and all these tanks and all these missiles, this is, they had this, all this resource and according um, to American intelligence, they used quite a lot of it already. And uh, due to sanctions and due to economical problems and due to procedures and to logistics, it would be not so easy for them to create new arms. So maybe we'll, we will win in, in time and even more people, more, more Russian soldiers on, on Ukrainian ground would not mean that they will be stronger in a way. You know, it will create just more mass and um, etc. So this uh, could not solve a problem for them. Yeah, yeah, exactly, exactly. And um, 
we will be summing up probably our podcast, but let us let us remind the context. So Russians have been telling its audience, Russians, Russian audience, that Ukrainians are genociders. Actually, what they do now is real genocide against Ukrainians, and it's documented. So I, I've seen Russian uh, foreign ministry video, made a video about Ukrainian so-called genocide in occupied Donbass. How you can make a genocide without really accessing this territory, you know? Uh, of course, there were death of civilians during this eight eight years of war, but there were death on every side, on on both sides, because it is an artillery war, and Russians are have been hiding in the residential quarters, making in Donetsk, uh, for example, and and making the shells out of there. So Ukrainians were responding, and of course there are civilian deaths, civilian victims. Unfortunately, Russians are trying to present it as a you know <clears throat> genocide, but uh, these these were very tragic losses losses of war but what they are now doing is a real genocide because they're targeting the civilian population of ukraine russians are telling that uh, ukrainians are nazis i don't know if if um, every there is anybody in the world who who still believes this this lie but let us remind that ukrainian president mr volodymyr zelensky is a jewish he was born in krivirikh which is mostly russian language uh, russian speaking city in eastern ukraine and uh, he have been basically Russian speaking for for his whole life, and he is now speaks Ukrainian because he's president. a Ukrainian president. But still, many people in his surroundings still sp- speak Russian in their <clears throat> in their talks between them. And there are so many Ukrainian patriots who are Russian speakers. So mm. there is no linguistic line, no linguistic divisions in in that kind in Ukraine. You can be a Ukrainian speaker, Russian speaker, Crimean Tatar speaker, but uh, uh, still a, a a Ukrainian patriot and defending the uh, defending uh, Ukraine as a country. And let's let's repeat maybe once again, which is very what what is very important for Putin. For him, it's a geopolitical game. You know, he wants at any price to get Ukraine because without this uh, without this victory, uh, he know that they will be it will be the end of Russia. In fact, the prices are extremely high. So he 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 decided to in to aggress Ukraine openly. And he knows that the consequences will be... Exactly, exactly. The, the so stakes th- are very high because, I agree with you, because he understands if Russia l- loses this war... It will uh, lose everything, in fact. It will lose many other things and maybe its own stability. So Putin Stability is, and maybe even statehood. You never know. Putin is it, risking Putin, uh, Putin is risking very much, but Ukrainians, but Ukrainians are also... You know, seeing all this, and um, as we have seen, many people who are loyal to Russia recently, uh, and criticizing maybe you know some language laws, or whatever, they are now massively joining the territorial defense. And maybe at last, let's speak about time, because uh, we ask ourselves, and people ask uh, ourselves, and everybody is asking when this this war will end, because. Uh, can we afford the war which will last, just imagine, one year or two years or three years until the country is destroyed? Or should we act immediately and the most in the most effective way now? Because I think that we cannot afford this kind of war in the center of Europe now. So, And everything is to be done to stop it as soon as possible this is not, this is not like C- Syria story or i don't know kind of kind of um 
country when you can Afghanistan can can you imagine that Ukraine will become a new well in every never le, ending le, war le, let's not diminish other countries because uh, the Syrian story the Afghan story uh, I'm are, talking only in terms of the long are, are are tragic stories everywhere so we cannot really say what war is more important what what other war is not important so every every everywhere there is strategy but coming back to Syria many people who observe Syrian war many Syrian people are telling look they're repeating the logic Russians are repeating the logic because they were also targeting hospitals they were also targeting schools they were also targeting civilians all the time and uh You know, Ukrainians, Syrians, Georgians, many other nations were warning the world that this will repeat, uh, these atrocities will repeat on, on, a, on a much bigger scale and, and we see uh, what's happening right now. Let us also remind just the last lie of Russians, that Russians are saying that Ukraine is a, is a country governed by military junta, which is a total, total absurdist thing. Ukraine, after the revolution of dignity, in 2013-14, has held numerous free and fair elections uh, monitored by OSC and Mr. Zelensky has been elected in the second round in 2019, 73% of the vote, vote with very clear, transparent and democratic uh, elections, unlike Russia, unlike Belarus, where basically, which are basically autocratic countries which destroyed all the democratic infrastructure. Well, this is the reality, and therefore we are saying that this is a battle of democracy against autocracy, of freedom against servitude, of um, of humanity against inhumanity. This is the war against one of the biggest evil, uh, and maybe the biggest evil of the 20th, 21st century. This was a podcast explained in Ukraine by ukraineworld.org and jointly with Ukraine Crisis Media Center. My name is Volodymyr Yermolenko and I talk to Tetyana Ogarkova. Uh, follow us. You can support us on Patreon, patreon.com slash ukraineworld. And we all hope and we all fight for uh, Ukraine's victory. Ukraine will be victorious. Thank you for supporting us and for supporting Ukraine. Stand with Ukraine.